Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Women Arsecast May Mailbag Edition with me, Tim Stillman. Uh, and joining me, as ever, for the Mailbag Edition is Alex Ibaceta. Alex, how are you doing? I'm still recovering from Sunday, but um, I'm doing all better. <laughs> yeah, I think we all are. I think we all are. Um, yeah, I mean, this this obviously is going to be a bit of a, a season post-mortem um, edition, I think, and we've had loads and loads of questions. We had about eighty questions um, on Twitter, which was absolutely amazing and slightly overwhelming, to be honest. And really, really thank you to everyone who submitted questions. Obviously, we're not we're only going to be able to ask a fraction of those, um, but a lot of them kind of deal with similar subjects, uh, which I'm sure you can probably guess what they're going to be. Um, just to just to say before we kind of crack on. Um, I did manage to speak to Beth Mead um, after the game on Sunday because I had a bit of an inkling that she was going to be voted as the Supporters Club Player of the Season. And as we record, that was announced by the Supporters Club about an hour ago, which I don't think is a massive shock to anyone because of the, the kind of the great season she's had. And I did a bit of an unscientific Twitter poll last week and everyone seemed to seemed to kind of have Beth or, you know, in the 80, 90 percent um, people saying Beth Mead. So if you hold on to the end of the episode, there'll be about three or four minutes um, me talking to Beth, as well as Molly, Molly McElwee from The Telegraph and Art de Roche from The Athletic as well. We did a bit of a, a bit of a mixed zone thing. Um, but I, I guess my first question, which di- which isn't a listener question, it's one of my questions, Alex. Do you agree with that choice of Beth as Arsenal's player of the season? I don't disagree with it. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, look, I mean, I think we've had a lot of players on the squad that have had an amazing season. But when you look at the impact that Beth has had overall this season, you know, not just obviously it's easy to focus on just the finish of the season, you know, the last bits. Um, it's easy to focus on that. But when you look at, I mean, you look at the start of the season when she scored that goal against Chelsea and you look at the ending of the season that she's just having impact every single match. And, you know, she's, I mean, she's she's an amazing player for Arsenal, for England, for anybody. And this season has definitely been, been one of her best. And yeah, I think she fully deserves player of the season. Yeah, that that was my rationale too. That basically across the whole season, she's she's been the most consistent. Um, I think I think like yeah, in the second half of the season, play, like Leo Volti. Like if you were doing the player of the second half of the season, you know, I'd probably go with like Leo Volti, for example, or Caitlin Ford would be in that conversation. Steph Catley would be in that conversation. But I think in terms of that, basically the three players, well, actually the four players with the most minutes played this season. First is Kim. Um, and I think there's a little bit of context there. She's retired from international football, so she's probably been able to play more club minutes. Um, second is Katie McCabe, who played, 
I think, 14 more minutes than Beth. Um, and then it's Manu Zinsberger after that. So those are like four really, really kind of core players. And, and broadly, I think those four would really be in the conversation in terms of um, their their kind of consistency across the season. It's interesting, actually, that, that Viv um, not figuring, like when I did that kind of Twitter question last week, not figuring that much in the conversation. And it's, it's always an interesting question as to what is player of the season for, because if it is just for the best player, I mean, Viv would win it every year, basically. But, yeah. you know, maybe like relative to her own standards or the switch of position, I don't know. But I personally, I, I voted for Beth. Um, I'm in the supporters club and that was where my vote went. And um, I think that's thoroughly deserved. And she's also been nominated for the Barclays Player of the Season Award. I, I figure she might not get that because I think Sam Kerr might get that one. And, and much as it sticks in my craw, um, it would be difficult to argue with that. But um, speaking of Sam Kerr, which is not something I like to do a lot on this podcast, <laughs> um, which which is nothing against Sam Kerr. It's just, um, you know, she breaks my dreams sometimes. Um, obviously, she kind of came up clutch on the final day on Sunday, which ended up being much more of a roller coaster than I thought it would be. How How and where did you experience the final game of the season? Um, I was on my sofa, uh, sadly. I had my dissertation due the day after, so I was a responsible adult and decided not to go to any of the matches just to not... Because, you know, you say you go to a match and you're like, oh, it's just two hours. But then the commute there and then the pints after, you know, it just adds up to an entire day. So I decided not to go. Um, so I was on my sofa, double screening it, obviously, at the Arsenal game on my TV and the Chelsea match on my laptop. And, I, you know, I came in to Sunday not you know having the expectation that Chelsea were going to win because mm-hmm. solely because it was out of Arsenal's hands and we know I mean we saw at the end of the day what Chelsea is capable of despite of everything but when those Man United goals went in I screamed like never before and I was fully expecting my downstairs neighbor to come up to my door and be like is everything okay <laughs> and I I mean, I was, yeah, I ran around my living room. I jumped on myself. I did everything that you can imagine as a fan. Um, and it, yeah, that hope was, I was just clinging on to that hope. And then, yeah, I mean, the fact, it, it pisses me off the fact that Sam Kerr just had to give away our hopes in that manner. I think it was what pissed me off the most. Because you can't, I mean, look at the goals. I mean, the technicality, the technical skills that Sam Kerr has to finish those off just so casually. It's just ridiculous, but again, we're not going to talk talk about Sam Kerr on this podcast. Um, but no, it was I. I was so mad after. I think because of the hope that Man United gave us. I think if you know the day would have gone on just as as we all expected, even if we didn't want to admit it to to ourselves, if the day had just gone on as we expected, it would have had a different feeling. But the fact that it was actually going to happen that Chelsea were going to lose to Man United or draw against them um, I think that's the the hope that really kind of stabbed me in the heart um, but no it was, it was it's a fun day I mean you gotta you know look stepping aside from the results and stepping aside from everything the emotion that this final WSL gave us was you know thrilling and you got to love that aspect of it Um mm. But yeah, it was it was heartbreaking. It was the hope that kills, as every Arsenal fan knows. Yeah, what's really interesting, so this is the, a bit of a quirk, actually. This is the first ever time that Arsenal have finished second in the WSL. They've, they've either been first or third, and they finished fourth once. 
Um, and this is actually the only time they've been involved in a title race on the final game of the season in the WSL. Obviously, all the times they've won the top flight, that's happened before. But the times they've won the WSL, they've had it wrapped up before. So we've not really experienced this um, for quite a long time. I, I have to say that people kept asking me at the West Ham game, are you nervous? And I said, no, because I was just expecting nothing from the other game. I expected both teams to win. I thought that's what would happen. And even when United went 1-0 up, I promise I didn't flinch. Like emotionally, I didn't flinch. I was like, it's too early. Um, Chelsea will get this together. They'll score. Sure enough, they equalised straight after. And I was like, yeah, that, that's exactly what I thought would happen. Now, obviously, when United go 2-1 up and it's 2-1 at half time at that point, and, and you know, like a, a draw would have done us, had, you know, assuming Arsenal win because Arsenal were drawing at that point. So, you know, at half time, it was quite, it was quite exciting. I, I still kind of had my feet on the ground because I thought, right, I think Emma will sort them out at half time. I think maybe one of the things that went against us as well is that things weren't in United's hands. And I'm sure they saw the score from the City game at half time and probably and you know that that must take like one percent away from you and think, ah, oh, actually this isn't happening for us today either. So I don't think they had a lot to play for in the second half, which is not the same as saying like they didn't try or anything. They clearly gave it a good shot. But I thought, right, it, it needs to stay 2-1 for at least 10 minutes of the second half before I'm going to get remotely excited. And then when word came through that Chelsea had equalised at the beginning of the second half, I thought, well, that's it. Like, that is definitely it now. They've clearly come up, you know, come out with their tails up. Like, like I kind of thought they would, but I thought they needed to be held off for 10 minutes or so for the nerves to kind of become a factor. And obviously they weren't. And and then it was, it was kind of over as quickly as it started. And yeah, it was. It, it ended up being a little bit of a roller coaster, and at half time, particularly when it's happening at half time and Arsenal are top, you have that fifteen minutes to think about it. Yeah, <laughs> and and you try not to think about it, and and it's like, oh god, maybe this might happen. Um, but yeah, I I think this the second Chelsea equalised at the beginning of the second half. I didn't expect United to score again. I just expected that to go. Um, exactly the way it did, basically. So I, I've actually only seen one of the Sam Kerr goals. I've seen obviously the second one. I have I, like I've stayed away from everything else. I haven't seen any of the other goals in that game, and I will try and keep that the case for as long as possible. But anyway, <laughs> um, let's crack on with the questions. We're nearly ten minutes into the into the episode, and we've got loads of really really good ones and stuff. I really really want to discuss. The the first one is a hypothetical, and I love this. Um, question it's from Catley if you can at Laguna Beach if you could change only one result from this season in any competition which one would you choose it's got to be that Spurs match the draw yeah it Mm. definitely has to be that one um I I think I would accept the Birmingham lost Mm. much like (laughs) Better than than I I am clearly still not over it. Um, I think the Tottenham, no, no, yeah, I think the Tottenham match changed that to a win, get us that WSL title. Um, because that I think that match was kind of the way I remember it was kind of the start of 
downhillness for a few weeks after that. Yeah, well, Leah um, got injured in that match. It, on top of that, yeah, I just like thinking back at that match, just emotionally, I was just like, this is an absolute disaster. Um, yeah, I think that's. I mean, that's the first thing that came to my mind. I think if that that confidence boost that we could have gotten if we would have gotten that win, obviously, you know, Leah maybe not getting injured and all that stuff, but. I think that was kind of the pivotal moments in that little section of the season. And yeah, getting those three points obviously would have been a, a little difference come the end of the season. Yeah, I, I think what's really interesting about this question is basically changing any result gives Arsenal the title. So then it's just a question of which game would you like to yeah. have been the one to do that. Um, and and so and, and I think there's another way to take this question as well because obviously Arsenal got to the FA Cup final in December against Chelsea, yeah. And you could change that result and win the FA Cup. And I suppose if you take a little bit of license of the question and say, had Arsenal won that FA Cup final and not you know lost it really badly, might some of those league results around it have changed? So you know you could throw the dice and say, all right, I'll change the cup final result. We beat Chelsea, we get the FA Cup. And then maybe one of those games in which we didn't take points changes. Mm -hmm. Um, Personally, I wouldn't change any of the Champions League results, really, just because as Mm -hmm. nice as it would have been to beat Wolfsburg, I mean, we'd have just gone out in the semis to Barca. So (laughs) It was a dead end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think my actual answer would be the Chelsea away game in the WSL in February where we drew nil nil, which was not a bad result. But if we win that, like if we win that, we win the league. And what a statement that would have been to win the league and beat Chelsea twice and take control of the title race that night by winning away at Chelsea. I think that for this team would have been enormous and beyond just winning the WSL title. I think going into the summer and saying we beat Chelsea twice, the pressure was on in February, we beat them away and we went on and won the title. I think that would, would have been huge for this team. So if if I take the question at face value, I'm changing that Chelsea result at Kings Meadow. If I'm taking the licence, I'm changing the cup final result in December because then I think um, I think we might have got two more points in the league. So that, those are my answers. But I love that as a hypothetical because there's, there's just, there's so many different ramifications at play. Um, Another one I'm going to ask um, here, because I think this is um, this is something really good to discuss that came out of Jonas's post-match on Sunday that he when he spoke to us, um, and it's from the resistant at Anne's, the resistance, sorry, at Anne's fourteen. Now I can answer the first part of this um, off the bat: is the report that the women's team will train with the boys under sixteen team true? Um, I mean, yes, Jonas suggested that's something he wants to do next season ahead of maybe some of those Champions League games. Um, and and the, the second part of his question is, is the one I'd love to discuss with you, Alex. What will the women gain from this? Um, th- there's also a part of his question, which is why haven't other teams done the same? Other teams have done the same. Barcelona have been doing this for a few years. Lyon have been doing it for a few years. The US women's national team have been doing it, I think, for over a decade. Um, those are three quite... There's something that links those three those three <laughs> teams, which they're all really fucking good and they win lots of stuff. So, I, I mean, I guess from your position as, as a player, Alex, like the, the part of that question I'd like to discuss is what would the women gain from that? They would gain so many things. It's, you know, putting aside the 
you know, the, the men versus women, women's football versus men football, you know, putting aside everything and looking at strictly the male anatomy of, you know, just guys are just physically and just naturally more, you know, I wouldn't say stronger, but like, just like, you know, they have a bit more pace in those sprints. They have that little extra and, you know, playing with guys, I used to, the best time, you know, my peak in my football has been when I used to play with guys in pickup football, like at the park. It's just that little pace. It's the the speed in which the ball moves. I think for me, obviously, I haven't played at a very, you know, elite, elite level and, and, you know, the top five leagues in the world. But I think the biggest difference is the pace of the game and the pace of the ball that changes so much. And, you know, getting used to that pace just gives you the extra, just gives you an advantage that it's it's so hard to explain. But when you look at, you know, when you look at Barcelona playing against someone else, when they move the ball that quickly out of pressure, they, it gives them an, an, a huge advantage. When you're playing out the back, like Arsenal tried to do, um, we say try because I'm still not over that kind of Manu Zinsberger latte kind of goal line play that they tried <laughs> at Boromwood. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you get out of pressure that quickly, you give yourself so much space. And this is what Arsenal failed to do and they tried to do is come out the back and give your midfielders, you know, now that Viv is a 10, for example, you give her so much space in that midfield after getting the ball out so quickly. So the benefits of it is more about forcefully learning how to play quicker, if that mm. makes sense. It's it's not about, you know, we go back to the anatomy, what I mentioned in the beginning. It's it's not about, you know, the aggressiveness and the pace. I think it's it's more about the ball movement and focusing on playing that high tempo game that not a lot of teams play, especially in the women's game. You know, we look at, yeah, as you mentioned, Tim, you know, the US, Leon, Barcelona, what do they all have in common is that they outplay their opponents to, I mean, historically to a ridiculous um, kind of form. And, you know, it needs, and it happens, it happens so often. And it's just, it's such a simple thing to do. But I think also the problem when it comes to this is obviously the, the opposite side of when people look at it in a bad way and like, don't, don't take it as in like in a bad way of like men, women, putting them against each other. It's, it's simply like, it's the basics of the differences of men and women's football, you know, not looking, I'm, I'm trying, trying not to say something wrong here. Um, I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's just, you know, there is difference between men and women's football. It's whether we want it or not. Um, so kind of put those together and you have, you know, a, a great advantage when it comes to pace and, and moving the ball. And yeah, just I think Arsenal would benefit from that. Looking at it from the beneficial point of view in the style of plays, it's basically just what I mentioned is moving that ball out of pressure so quickly. And when you look at the likes of Chelsea, who like the high press, who are really good at high pressing, if you're able to move the ball out quickly, you're catching half the Chelsea team in your own box and you're starting the attack, which we're more than capable of doing. So the advantages I think would be more of the, the high pace thing that I think Arsenal are missing right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, let's put a little bit more context around this yet. Jonas referenced some of those champions league games. He, the question he was asked was how would he like to evolve the team? And 
where the improvements he's going to look to make. And he said he felt that Arsenal struggled against uh, teams that go player to player. Um, and I'm saying player to player because like gender bias is baked into our language and what people actually say is man to man, which kind of kind of shows you really. Um, it says quite a lot. Um, but, you know, in, in those Champions League games, obviously Barcelona, Wolfsburg, we really struggle with it. And even the away game at Hoffenheim, Hoffenheim do that. And we beat them handily at Meadow Park, but we were thrashed in the away game at Hoffenheim. And I think those are the games that he's referencing. And what he was saying was he'd like to train against the under-16s or under-15s just because that's a physical matchup that's that's quite favourable. Um, I think we should also point out a couple of things here um, because I know as well, like Alex, you saying, you know, trying not to say the wrong thing and all of that. And I think the first thing to say is acknowledging that things are different is not necessarily um implying inferiority so saying that like male footballers or even men's football is kind of more physical perhaps or quicker um i I kind of think that's self-evident but that doesn't necessarily mean it's better for the fact it's just another factor um it's just a difference between the teams it doesn't sorry between the games it doesn't necessarily mean that that means one is superior to the other um i think the other thing to say as well is like He's not, Jonas isn't just talking about like random 16 year old boys. This is like 16 year old boys who are playing for Arsenal. So they're very, very good. Mm-hmm. And they're basically already living like elite athletes. Um, you know, they're in the gym every day. They're, they're playing, you know, close to pro football in an elite, one of the, the most elite environments in the world. So like, it's not just we're going to play against some random 16 year olds drinking cider in the park. And they're already like pretty physically developed. So, um, and, and I think with Barcelona, their results are, well, they're not really out there, but you can look them up. And what's really notable is when Barca started doing this a few years ago, they'd lose to like, and, and this is Barcelona's under 15s, under 16s. Like, can you imagine the talent that is in there? And, but now they win. And I think that tells you something. And actually, Barca, the, the last, couple of results I've seen when they played their like under 16 boys team they thrashed them um and I think that that shows you that shows you progress as well and so yeah what what Jonas is looking to do is just have like um a more of a physical matchup and in in those training sessions not least as well because um not many teams in the WSL play like that so I think Arsenal he feels like Arsenal are basically underprepared for those games because most most teams in the WSL can't play like that because there's still so much inequality in the league and it's still developing and all of that. So it will take a few years before we're in a situation where like four, five, six teams play like that in the WSL. So that that's kind of where it came from. And I thought it was a really interesting, um, really interesting thing for him him to bring up and that he's going to talk about with Per Mertesacker. So I, I'll kind of check in on that periodically next season. Um Let's have this one then from uh, A, at Ariel AWFC on Twitter. Um, It seems like one problem has been that our second 11 isn't as strong as our first 11. And when you look at the better teams, generally there's not much difference between the first and second 11 players. Why do you think that's happened for quite a few years now? That's an interesting question. It's, It's hard... I mean, the obvious answer would be just down to, you know, the minutes that players are getting. But 
it's it's so much more than that, especially if you look at the last two years of, you know, the ending of Joe's area and the start of Jonas's team. I think they I think that was I think probably the biggest factor of, of Joe kind of flatlining in terms of what he wants to do in the WCL with the team. And then you have Jonas come in with a completely new style. Um, we've talked about it plenty of times in this podcast that certain players um, benefit Jonas's style play more. And I think for the last season and, and this season, I think that has a lot to do with it. I think the fact that Jonas is still trying to figure out, you know, I mean, he navigated his first season in WCL quite well, but frankly, he hasn't figured out what he wants to do yet with the players that he has and the squad that he has, the style of play that he wants to play. I think once he figures that out, and we've seen a lot of rotation, maybe not enough, but we have seen a lot of rotation and potentially that will get better once Jonas kind of decides what he wants to do and the players that he wants to keep. And I think that's just, I think that's the main reason down to it. But it's it's all about, you know, getting... It's it's any team. I mean, realistically, when you look at, for example, you know, Barcelona, they rest players like Alexia, like Atana and like Patri. And, you know, the game isn't the same. You know, they, they barely scrap a win. And then you put these players on and they end up winning 6-1 like happen, like it's happened in the past week for Barcelona. So I think in any team, you're going to have that second team that kind of drops off just a tad level. But for Arsenal specifically, I think the changes that we've seen over the couple, couple past couple of years um, has definitely impacted that more. Yeah. And, and it's sometimes it's not even a quality question. It's just, if, if you're one of, you know, the second string players and you're not playing, it's very difficult to come into the team and, and like show your best straight away. I, I actually don't think that that's so I completely agree with what you've said there in terms of this is not really Jonas's group. You can see which are his players and which are not. Um, some of the ones he's signed, some of the ones maybe he hasn't signed but has really taken to. And you can tell there are players that have been signed that are not bad players at all and that he doesn't think are bad players. It's just whether they actually fit his style. It's just he's picked up a squad from another coach, basically, and he's rebuilding it. And when I look at the players who, certainly in the second half of the season, weren't getting on the pitch that much, like Nikita Paris, Freedom Arnhem, Jordan Nobbs, I don't see a quality gap there um, at all. Um, even like Tobin Heath was on the bench most of the time. Like I, I don't see a quality gap. Um, may, maybe there are players that don't really fit what Jonas wants um, quite as much. And and yeah, I, like I, I think that I, I think basically there are there are core players um, that you kind of you really struggle without, and ultimately. The thing that really cost us the league, I think, more than anything, was the absence of Leah Williamson. Mm-hmm. And at the time that we lost her as well, if we'd lost her in maybe the second half of the season when Hafaeli was there, or I think Lotta's really come on in the second half of the season. Like, I think Lotta and Hafaeli um, playing centre-back without Leah, I think that covers that gap much better. Um, but that's not really what Arsenal had at the time. And ultimately, Arsenal only dropped points, I think, in six WSL games overall. Um, Leah missed five and they dropped points in three of those. Um, and as well as losing the cup final, getting thrashed by Hoffenheim. All right, they got thrashed by Barca. I'm not sure that would have changed very much. But the, the results were poor without Leah. And it's, it's just that's just one of those core players you can't do without. 
Um, and I think every team has those, really. But I, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. Basically, I think this is—you can just see that this is a squad that's not been built by one manager. Um, so let's come on to what I'm going to call the Viv section, <laughs> <laughs> which, <laughs> um, which, which you know, sounds like surgery, doesn't it? Yeah, um, basically. Uh, obviously we've had loads of questions about this and we had a question from Mariam Naz at mnaz98 uh, Domi Cadillo at DandoMK uh, Celine Robinson at TV Celine she used to write Law and Order um, the TV show that is uh, Emily uh, at MX Maria um, all of them I, I'll try and kind of summarise all of them which is about basically <laughs> replacing Vivian Miedemer <laughs> Um, so some of it's, um, you know, if she goes, how do we replace her? What are we replacing now? And a bit of a theme going through is, and, and for example, Emily's question is more, if Viv stays, do you think she'll stay as a number 10? Or go? Or do you think she'll go into like the number nine rotation, play a bit of both? Like, I guess the question is, whether she stays or whether she goes, what is Vivian Mead? Like, what would we be replacing if she went? Would we be replacing a ten or a nine? And if she stays, what will she? What will she be? In your view, I, I think letting Viv stay as a ten would be kind of a huge factor in Arsenal. Kind of, you know, that's that's big leverage for Arsenal being like. If you stay here, you're able to basically play whatever position you want. I mean, she wants to be center back, put her center back. Um, but it, it's kind of that freedom that she knows that if she wants to play as a 10, if she wants to play a nine, as a nine, that option is there for her. Because um, I highly doubt that Jonas is going to be like, no, you can't play a nine. And obviously he likes her as a 10, um, clearly even when it doesn't work and he needs to take her off and he doesn't take her off. But anyway, um, yeah, I think that the option for Arsenal is going to be a big leverage on on the advantages of, of Viv because, you know, everyone knows Viv well enough at this moment to know that money isn't a factor and her main priority when choosing where to go is is the football. It's enjoying the football and, and kind of trusting the process of the club and the manager and the football that the club are playing. So I think to have that aspect on Arsenal's side is big. And yeah, I think from that, I don't think Arsenal have an option of, of whether uh, she's going to play as a 10 or a nine. So yeah, I think, I think if she stays, that's going to continue to be the same situation and hopefully it gets better. So I think on this, she is absolutely firmly a number 10 um, in this team now. She has not played a second up front since the beginning of February. And Caitlin started there on Sunday. Like, Caitlin started there a couple of times. Steena started there most of the time. The, the thing is, I don't think that Jonas really liked Viv as a nine because it's clear to me he wants his nine to be in the box, running channels, holding the ball up, doing strikery things. Now, under Joe, Viv was kind of playing as a... She was playing that very kind of withdrawn... She had the freedom to come out, join in with the play, and she'd have people running in behind her. And that's not really the way that Jonas plays because I think Jonas wants a lot of the creativity to come from out wide. And that means you need your striker in the box. So 
I think that under Jonas, you won't see, you know, look, I mean, we might not see a player for Arsenal again, full stop. But let's say in a world where she stays, I don't think she'd play nine unless there was like some kind of injury crisis. I think the replacement for Viv as a number nine has already happened. I think that's Stina. I think that's what Jonas really wants and always wanted. If you look at the patterns of substitutions, when Viv was playing as a nine earlier in the season, she was subbed far more often than she has been playing as a 10. I think he likes her as a 10 just because nobody else has really been able to do that role um, in the way that he'd like. Like Kim, Kim's played there a couple of times. Kim came out with zero assists this season. So that like that's not number 10. For all the good stuff she does, that's not number 10 uh, kind of numbers there. Um, Jordan, Manor have been on the bench. Viv is the only player he's actually really liked in that role. So I think she'd very firmly be a 10. I think um, we're replacing something different. Again, potentially we're replacing something different to what we might have been replacing 18 months ago. Viv's goal scoring started to drop off at the end of last season. If you look from about February onwards, she, her creative stats were going up, but her goal scoring stats were coming down. And now she's kind of become a number 10 you know, obviously she still scores plenty of goals, but not quite the same amount. I think Arsenal's dependence on Viv as a goal scorer has kind of gone. I think what she is now and what Arsenal would have to replace if she leaves is like one of the technical glues in the team. So any team, usually in the spine of the team, will have a couple of players who are like the technical glue. And for Arsenal, it's very much Leah Williamson, Leah Valti, Kim Little, and then it's the 10. And at the moment, that's Viv. And so if if Viv goes, that's what we're replacing, I think. I think Arsenal would buy a number 10 to replace her. I still think they'll, they'd go out and get like a, a striker or a forward um, as well, particularly because we still don't know what's happening with Caitlin Ford. Um, Tobin Heath has obviously gone. I think he'll want a dribbler and the links to the Brazilian international, Brazilian international JC make a lot of sense. Um, from from that perspective, because she's very direct, very dribbly, almost like a kind of Oshwala um, type player. And I think that's what he wants from his forwards. So I, I think that if Viv goes, we're replacing a number 10. And that that's kind of, I, I think the transition away from Viv as the number nine has kind of already happened. So that's my view, uh, my 10,000 foot view on that. Um, I, don't, I don't yet know if she's going to go or stay. So I, I, I take her at her word when she says she's going to make her decision on holiday over the next couple of weeks. But I have to say, I think if it was going to be done, it'd be done by now. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that, that's what I'm gearing myself up for. But I, I don't know on that. But I, I thought we'd, we'd deal with the Viv section because obviously that's, that's you know, that's a massive, massive topic. topic. There's no getting away from it. And Obviously, that'd be a huge. Like whatever you think we're replacing, it's a big player. Um, and and we had a, we actually we had a few questions as well that kind of asked, can Arsenal still compete? Like, what do you think would happen in a Miedemilis Arsenal? Like, how much of an like do you do you think, Alex, if we're without Miedemilis next season that we don't challenge for the title, or do you think we can still do that? I think it would definitely be harder, but I think it would still be possible on the basis that Jonas kind of decides what he wants and has a cohesive team. Um, if, cause you know, 
at the end of the day, the quality on the pitch is can only take you so far. Um, and it's the cohesiveness of the football and the style and the fact that everyone's on the same page that can take you further than individual players. And I'm not saying Viv, you know, is an individual player because she's certainly not, but it is possible. There is hope to life after Viv. Um, in the fact that, yeah, I think, you know, if you bring in a good player and you add in Jonas's kind of ideas being cemented into the team and the team kind of taking that on really well, I think we could do one better than this season even. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it will come down to obviously how we replace her, but um, I, I think you're right. I think it would be a player Jonas wants and knows how to fit into the into the system. Um, so like that, that would make me a bit more positive. I, you know, I'm not being completely blase about it. I'm not just going to say it would make no difference at all. I think for me, what would, um, what would really, really be crucial in, in that scenario is how Arsenal start next season. Cause I think one of the factors in Man City's terrible start this year, now don't get me wrong. They had quite a few injuries as well. I think losing Sam Mewis was huge for them because she was she was that kind of that real totem pole player for them last season, and they lost her. And then obviously they lost Steph Horton, Lucy Bronze, and Chloe Kelly, and all other manner of really really good players. And then they were trying to do this thing where they weren't really sure if they wanted to replace Ellen White yet, and they brought in Bunny Shaw, and it took them a while to work out how to do that. That that's what would be, and and in doing that. They lost any chance of competing for the title. Their results since December, like title challenging quality, but they lost all the ground in those first two months sorting some of those things out. That would be the crucial thing for me, that whatever happens, that the plan is is, is very, very clear very, very quickly and that the player or players that, that Jonas would want in that scenario um, are clear in in what they're doing, kind of straight away. That that to me, like what if she goes, we can't have like a two three month adjustment because the league will go um, if we have that a bit like it did for City last season. So I I kind of hope, I, I kind of suspect as well that Jonas has got like a plan A, plan B, and plan C in mind <laughs> um, for this. But I, I don't know how much having to wait for Viv's decision assuming that's the absolute truth of the situation, which I do think it is, you know, I, I hope that that doesn't have an impact if they're kind of hanging on and then she says no. Um, I hope they're able to kind of put those plans in place pretty quickly. But I, I think we'll see on that in the next couple of weeks. I think we'll definitely know before the Euros. I don't think for one second that Viv will want to go into the Euros without everything being sorted out. Um, so... Yeah, I, I'd say buckle in because we're going to find out soon enough. Here's um here, here's a question that's perhaps slightly less existential, but quite an important one for the summer as well, uh, from Joe Lewis Monty at Jolo Moco on Twitter. What level of keeper, if Lids goes, um, when Lids goes, <laughs> do, do you think we should look for? Um, it feels like part of Manu's confidence has been through being a clear number one this season. And Jonas has spoken of preferring a clear number one. So do you think signing an upgrade to really challenge uh, Manu um, feels necessary? Or do you think we should go for more of a, you know, a number two goalkeeper and keep that faith in Manu Zinsberger? Yeah, I think, I don't think the 
kind of getting a second keeper to challenge Manu is necessary anymore. I think uh, the strategy worked, let's say that. Um, and I think the level that Manu has gotten this season has been, you know, outstanding. And it's been very, like, underrated. I mean, no one's really talking about it, but the numbers that she has, um, you know, even working at the zone and we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, the, the team of the season – Manu's in these conversations against, you know, some of the world's best, and she's arguably the most sound keeper in the WSL this season, I think. Mm -hmm. So I think, and obviously we have talked about it before, about how before Lydia came in, Manu was kind of struggling with that confidence and struggling with kind of keeping up with the league and keeping up with these, you know, some of the best keepers in the world. And I think she's confidently done that this season without any problem. Um, and I, I do think that a lot of that has to do with with the fact that Lydia Williams has come in, and but I don't think it needs to be done again. I think mm. Manu has gotten the experience that she's needed from having Lydia, and potentially Arsenal might want to look at the future now. And I think it's completely possible um, to get kind of a second string keeper that's obviously good enough to play in the WSL to play in the Champions League, but. Will is still in in their journey <laughs> to, to to not to say something really cliche, but to have a second string where you can kind of develop this, a, a keeper in the Arsenal style play and and let Manu be the full leader um, in both you know for the number one keeper and and the leader for the second keeper. Yeah, I I think this is really interesting because it's much a question of psychology. As anything else, because um, and, and a lot of that will come down to where Jonas thinks Manu is in her psychology. I think Lydia has been really, really good for Manu because, I mean, first of all, she's like, I mean, she's Australia's number one and has been for a decade, very experienced, very capable. But I think on the training ground has been a really, really good presence for Manu as well. I think for Manu, that that relationship has actually been perfect, where she's the number one. She does have a like a very renowned uh, international class goalkeeper behind her, like pushing her and, and pushing her on the training ground, but in like a in a friendly way as well as in a sporting way. Um, but at the same time, she's like she's had that nice balance between being the absolute first choice. So the question now is really if you're looking at a reserve goalkeeper who you think is going to be a reserve goalkeeper because. Like I think Fran Stenson's going to go. Um, she's played one game in three years at Arsenal and hasn't been on the bench lately. I, I think that one's probably going to come to an end. So the, the question then, when when if, if you're buying a second choice, generally you want someone who's either young and up and coming or someone like Lydia, um, who's perhaps been there, said it and done it and is at the other end of her career. And I think what it will come down to is where does Jonas see Manu now in her psychology? Does he see her still as needing maybe that experienced goalkeeper with her? Or does the psychology completely flip and Arsenal bring in, I don't know, like maybe they could be really ambitious and go for someone like Hannah Hampton and say, right, this is the this is the up-and-coming goalkeeper under you, but now you're the senior partner here. You're the one that's going to help bring along this goalkeeper. And I think that's a really fascinating question. And, and it will all come down to where I think Jonas thinks Manu is and and maybe he thinks oh, do you know what actually I think she really needs like strong competition I think she needs 
someone maybe of a similar age, like to really, really keep her on her toes. Um, and, and maybe that's the question. But so much about that that goalkeeper spot is about psychology, I think, which is why I think this was a really interesting question. Um, let's um, let's move on to Liam at Liam Twit fifteen R. On a scale of one to ten, how much change do you think there needs to be or will be in the playing squad this summer? Do you think it will be evolution or revolution? Oh, evolution or revolution. That's kind of funny. Um, I, It's way above my pay grade to answer that, really, um, just because it's hard to mix in what you know needs to be done versus the money, first of all. And, you know, it's not easy to get players that you need, but um, I don't know. I, for certainty, I would really want Jonas to to have a good recruitment summer for on the basis of everything that we've talked about on this podcast so far about kind of the style of play being a crucial factor to to how we do in the WSL next season um, and any other competition, obviously. Um, I think as much as we love, you know, certain players, I do think that Jonas needs to take control of the players that he wants on his team um, to kind of get the best of it. And that's, that's, that sounded really harsh, but it is true um, to kind yeah. of, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say get rid of the players, but for, for the better of the team and for to maximize the potential, which is essentially what we're all so mad about is knowing the quality that Arsenal has and not being able to maximize the potential in any competition, really. So I think it is crucial for there to be a decent amount of personnel change um, for the for the you know the the goal that Jonas gets the team that he wants essentially. Yeah, I he he I asked him this question last week and he said it it would be a quieter summer. Obviously, a lot of that will be governed by some of the contracts. So there are players out of contract who are going to leave, right? Like Jen Beattie, Lydia Williams, Simone Boy. Um, those players will go, um, but then you've got three players that Arsenal want to keep who are out of contract in Caitlin Ford, Noel Maritz and Vivian Miedema. And really, I think a lot will depend on what happens with those players because each one of them, if they go, will need to be replaced. And then, yeah, there's definitely some questions over players, not really in terms of quality, but in terms of fit. I think this will be another towards maybe not as much. I mean, last summer, Arsenal signed five players. They signed three in January. Like, I think it will be more towards those numbers. Um, again, to be honest, I think what you aspire to as a squad is to get to the point where you only ever need one or two. But I still don't think Arsenal are quite there yet. And obviously, Tobin's gone as well. So that's that's one already out the door as well. Albeit I, I think that was going to happen. And actually, I kind of think we're all right for numbers in those positions. And, and what makes it kind of difficult as well is that they're just, there aren't that many games still in the women's game when you have a bigger squad. And I do wonder actually whether um, that, you know, whether that's been an issue this season, actually, because we have got a bigger squad, but at the same time, at the end of the season, we've got players like Freedom Arnhem getting handfuls of minutes, Keats Parrish, Jordan Nobbs, Mane Wabuchi not getting on. So um, I do think it's, I, I do still think there's a bit of tweaking there. And I do think that Jonas... I think he'll want a couple of bits for his first 11. I think he'll want a proper number six to uh, compete with and rotate with Leo Valti. Um, 
you know, if Viv goes, that's another that's another number ten. So I, I do think there are a, a few pieces um, to be put in there, and there are some contracts expiring. So I think this will be more towards the revolution end of the scale, um, personally. Um, but in the coming weeks, I'll try and find out a little bit more because I'm just speculating at the moment. Here's um. Here's a kind of nice hypothetical. Well, not, not so much a hypothetical, but asking you to future cast here from Alistair Wood at Alleyboy82. Which Arsenal player do you think will have the biggest impact at the Euros this summer? Oh, that's an interesting one. I'm... I should play. I need, I need a second to think about all the, the Euro players. Obviously, the first one that's come to mind is Beth Mead. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that's just natural to follow a big performance in the Euros following the season that she's had um, especially in a Serena Wiegmann I mean she's already been thriving under Serena you know <laughs> multiple hat tricks um, and just kind of get into the swing of how Serena wants England to play and I, I think Beth Mead will have the biggest impact um, but then obviously you have Leah Williamson who is well Captain Leah Williamson in this case um, who's also destined for a big Euros campaign, both in a leadership role and in a defensive role. That's quite important um, when you look at the games and you look at the opposition that England's going to come up against. Um, but I think as well, I think Leo Valti is going to be one of those players that surprises everyone and how good she is, if that makes sense. She's going to be mm-hmm. that, that low-key player that not, unless you really follow Arsenal and, and know the players uh, back to front or you follow Switzerland football which I imagine is a small percentage of people overall um, that has n- nothing bad about against the Swiss but you look at the media and the tension that they get it's not as big as they probably deserve um, I think Leo Valti is going to surprise a lot of people and in, in how just plainly how good she is at football um, when she gets to be on the big stage um, I think I, I would say yeah I would say those three are going to have I think every player is going to have an important role but I think those three are kind of are going to be the headline names that we're going to see yeah yeah I'd echo some of those I think we should also pause to celebrate um the stat that that really makes up for Arsenal not winning a trophy this season that's that this season Leah Valti played more passes with her left foot than her right foot she's come very close to it in her other three seasons at Arsenal but this time she's done it so here's to all the ambipeds out there (laughs) <laughs> with Leo Balti. Um I mean, let's go through the, the players we're probably expecting to be there. Manu Zinsberger with Austria, Lotta with England, um, Leah Williamson, yep, captaining England, uh, hopefully Jordan, hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, prayer circle, etc. Beth, I, I think you're absolutely right as well. Um, let's hope Viv is still an Arsenal player by the time the Euros kick off. Frieda Marnham with Norway, Leo Valti and Noel Maritz. Um, with Switzerland, then Keats Paris with England um, as well. But I mean, one, um, and then you've got Laura Weinreuter with Austria um, as well. Uh, Simone Boy probably won't be an Arsenal player by the time the Euros kick off uh, with Denmark. But but one really, because because really, right, you're looking at who plays for one of the favourites, and that's that's England um, in in Arsenal's case mostly. Then of course you've got with the Netherlands, maybe, possibly. Um, but really, I'd say Stina with Sweden because Sweden are going to be one of the favourites and she's the centre forward. And, and you know, if she has a 
very, very good tournament. Like, like if Sweden win it, which is well within the range of possibilities, it's probably because Steen has had a very good tournament. She had a very good Olympics last year as well. And you kind of sense that she's coming up to a point where maybe she realises she's one of the big Swedish players now. Um, you know, having come up under like players like Nila Fischer, who'd just been there for years and years, but she's moving into that age bracket where she's one of the senior players now. And I'm really, really interested to see how Stina does. I think um, one of the things that's really interesting for Arsenal next season, I'm a big fan of signing players in January because I think it really prepares them for next season. And I think Stina and Hafaeli are going to be big players for Arsenal next year. And Stina's had that kind of few months in the WSL to get used to things. Don't think we've seen close to the best of her. Still got seven goals. Um, I, th- I think I'm really enthused about what we're going to see from Stina um, next season. And, and I kind of hope that kicks off in the Euros as well to to get her running. So I'll, I'll go, I'll opt for Stina, uh, Black Stenius. But I also think Frieda Marnham, um, because we've kind of forgotten about her a little bit in the second half of the season. We did have a question on that. Actually, so why not um, segue to it now from a from at a underscore m uh, and that's Alex on Twitter. How do you see Free Freedom Arnhem's role evolving next season? She didn't get a lot of game time in the second half of the season, and our current midfield setup doesn't seem to allow her to slot in seamlessly in any of the three positions. She said that she prefers to play play as a ten or as an eight. How do you see things going for Freedom next season? I would say hopefully good. Um, I think Frida is an outstanding player. And if you look, if you go back to some of the episodes that we recorded um, towards the start of the season where Frida just, you know, just started hit the ground running, you we have a lot of praise for her. And it, it kind of sucks because we also, you obviously saw kind of a, I want to say downfall for the lack of a better word, but that's that's not a good way to describe it. It's just less and less minutes that she was able to get on the pitch and going back to, again, she was never able to cement the role that she has in the midfield or the role that she has in Jonas's team, obviously, because, you know, Leah Valti was out. So Frieda Manum was the replacement to that when, when Leah was kind of struggling with those injuries um, on and off. And, and Frieda was the replacement for that in a sixth position. And, and we all very much know that that's not her position and not her best position at that. Um, one of the reasons why we all love Frida Manim is the attacking presence that she gives in the midfield while at the same time securing um, the defensive players be- behind her. Um, but I would say hopefully she gets, she's one of those players that really gets to shine in, in whatever Jonas wants to do with the future at Arsenal. I think she's a really key player in in the midfield and could potentially be you know as one of those technical what is it Tim that you said the technical glued yes she I think she has the potential to easily be one of those players um to be kind of that important presence in the midfield for Arsenal to play out to defend to attack and kind of complement other players around her um I I have hope that it could go really well and if not it would be really disappointing to see a player like Fida Madden, um not reach your potential at Arsenal. Yeah, I, I think this is really interesting because there are so many paradoxes at play. I, I don't think she didn't play that much in the second half of the season. I don't think it was really down to her own form because she had some 
blinding games at the beginning of the season. I remember we had a question maybe back in November and it was something like who's been the best of the new signings. And I think we both said Frieda at that point. Um, I, I think the reason she didn't get minutes is just because Leah Valti was so good in the second half of the season. And then there's Kim and then there's Viv. And like Jonas didn't want to move away from that core and there just, there just weren't many minutes there. And obviously there's no more Champions League group stage. And so the schedule is a little bit um, but I guess the question is, how how does she break that next season? I think you're right. I don't think she should be the backup to Leo Volti as a six. I think we should go into the market for that. So then the question becomes, I mean, does Viv stay? And if not, does Frieda become one of those? Um, you know, if not a 10, then a free eight. Like, is she being groomed to be Kim's long-term successor? But then, like I said, it's so hard to groom young players, I think, in the women's game still, because there just aren't enough games. Um, to do it so I, I think it's really really interesting and like I, I, I doubt Kim played over 3,000 minutes for Arsenal this season the only player that played that many games for Arsenal again the context that she retired from international football but I don't think Kim is going to go from like playing more minutes than anyone else to being a rotation player next season I see her bar injury I see her doing that again and so maybe Frieda's in a position where she's got to wait for an injury to happen. Or if Viv goes, then maybe Arsenal try again with that midfield three of Valti, Little and Marnham, which we saw a lot in the first half of the season and wasn't that impressive. However, um, I think that was at a time when Leah Valti wasn't playing as well as she is now. Maybe with this Leah Valti in that midfield, maybe with a little bit more understanding of the roles and things like that. Um, then maybe you have Leah Volti and you use Marnham and Little as like a, a pair of eights. I don't know. I, I think it's really interesting. I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that conversation because one thing I know is that Jonas loves Breda as a player. And he told me an anecdote back in December about, I think I've told this before, when he was interviewed for the job at Arsenal, he was asked, if you could bring in three midfielders, who'd you bring in? And he mentioned Frieda and they laughed and said, we've signed her. <laughs> and he didn't know. So... Like he really likes that player. I think he like he really wants that physicality in midfield as well, and I think she offers it. And I think that's why we saw her play so much in the first half of the season. So it's weird because I think she's a real Jonas player, but at the same time, I I completely appreciate where the question's coming from. It's like this paradox of she's a real Jonas player, but maybe she plays in the position that like Jonas finds Kim like the most indispensable player at the same time and, and it's how how that's negotiated I'm fascinated to see that one next season um, and maybe some of the stuff that happens in the summer will give us more of a clue there um, a couple more uh, just before we finish um, we'll, we'll do like two more like transfer questions because obviously we're in the transfer window uh, and then we'll finish on a on a kind of wider structural question so Sue's at speedbug 007 do you think Arsenal will try to sign another big name like Tobin to bring that experience of a proven winner into the locker room? Um, I don't know how keen Jonas would be on that if he has full control of kind of... Um, the recruitment process. I I mean, you do see the benefits of it. You know, I think we said it last episode of, you know, that Tobin Heath equalizer against Man City is still, you know, it's, it's worth all the money that we paid for her essentially. But 
is it beneficial in kind of everything that we've spoken about, about how Jonas needs to kind of cement his ways and the players need to kind of cement as a team to kind of take that next step in the way that we're playing? Well, do I think that it's beneficial as much as off the pitch stuff it brings? Is it beneficial to have a player for one season um, just because of their name and because of, you know, the success that they've had previously? I personally don't. Um, I don't think it would be beneficial in the state that Arsenal are in right now. And that sounds really bad to say when you take that out of context. It sounds terrible. Um, but in in the stage of where Arsenal are and the next steps that Arsenal need to take, I think they need to focus more on cementing the foundation of the football that we want to play rather than bringing in a big name and kind of slightly unbalancing the balance that we don't have yet, essentially. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I, I think it's notable to two players, two of the summer transfers, Jonas was definitely responsible for, for were Tobin um, and Simone Boy. And so he brought in uh, Simone 29-30 and then Tobin 33-34. And I don't think it's a coincidence that in his first season, he thought, right, I'm going to bring in you know, two very experienced players, one who's won everything and in Simone, a player he knew very well, who'd won a lot of trophies and very experienced. And that they were both stopgap signings, really. They were both signed for one year. And I just think he thought, well, it's my first year. Um, there's going to be a lot of upheaval. We're competing with Chelsea. Let's bring in some of those like stability rod players who, who are quite experienced. I don't think he'll be as keen on that this time. I think, first of all, having been through this title race, um, this season, I think he'll probably be a bit more satisfied that Arsenal will know their way around a title race um, with that experience. But also, I think now he's been here a year. And obviously, he came in in difficult circumstances. He didn't really arrive till the end of the summer. Then there were Champions League qualifiers straight away. Like, he didn't have time to look around and breathe. So I can, and, and not only that, he didn't bring any coaching staff with him. So I completely understand why he looked around and thought, OK, I'm going to sign a couple of players in their 30s on one-year contracts just to have a look around. Look at the players he brought in in January. Um, you know, Hafaeli, Laura Weinreuter, Stina Blackstinius. Like, he, you know, all good players with, with pedigree in their own right. But, like, he didn't, he didn't bring in, like, a Simone Boy or a Tobin Heath. I don't think we'll see that, that kind of signing anymore. I think he'll want to replace Tobin's qualities as a player. I think we'll definitely see like a, a dribbly uh, player, which is why I think the JC um, kind of links make quite a lot of sense. But I, I don't think he'll be as keen on the idea of let's, you know, I mean, Rafael is 30, but I don't think it's the same thing really there. Like, I, I don't think he'll, he'll look to, you know, all right, I need like these rods of experience. I, I think he knows what he's got now and we'll see more of a Jonas squad build. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think I'm with you. I, I don't think he'll necessarily look for that in a player again. Although necessarily with the quality of player Arsenal will be looking at, we might end up with someone who's I don't know won a World Cup or won some Champions Leagues or whatever, um, because that's just the kind of the scale of player we're looking for. Uh, one more on the squad build before we come to a, a structural question again to finish off. Um, and again, I think this one's really interesting. It's from John Booth at John Booth underscore 74. Do you think um, Anna Patton will come back into the squad next season or do you foresee another loan move or even a permanent transfer? It's a hard one. Um, 
I think her season ending on an injury might have an impact on that. Um, Agreed. I wouldn't be surprised if she comes back to Arsenal, um, kind of rehabs with Arsenal and, and slowly makes her way back and then potentially um, go out in the January transfer window, for example. Um, I would say that's probably the most reasonable thing to do rather than go to a new club um, injured and kind of not really knowing where you fit in a team or what kind of team you fit into, for example. Um, so I would I would like to think that she's going to stay with Arsenal for now. And then if she does want to move on and Arsenal do want to move her on, which wouldn't be surprising again, um, I think that could happen in the January transfer window easily. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good shout, actually, because in, in principle, like, because obviously you've got Leah Williamson, Hafaeli, Lotta Wubbenmoy. Leah and Lotta have signed new contracts this year. Hafaeli signed in January. Those three are locks for three of the centre-half positions. So then Simone Boy's probably going to go. Jen Beat is probably going to go. So then there's that kind of, really, you need four centre-backs, um, I think. And, and obviously, Taya Goldie um, from the academy has, has got an ACL injury, so she's not going to be around until at least January, February. Um, and, and really, like, I think from an Arsenal perspective, you can probably write her out of next season, I think. But once she's fit again, she might go on loan. So there's that that kind of question mark over a fourth choice centre-half. I think the fact that Anna, um, she has glandular fever and hasn't been able to play for Villa. And I think that's been a real blow because it's cost her game time and particularly game time at centre-back. In principle, I'd love for Anna Patton to come back and, and come into that four. I think that would be a really nice four. At the same time, I think Anna needs to play. Um, she's not been in the WS, been back in the WSL that long, um, 18 months, and she hasn't played an awful lot in that time. I, I think she needs to go out and play somewhere. Um, but at the same time, like I think you could flip it either way because hopefully, again, if they get through their qualifier, Arsenal will be in the Champions League group stages next season. So the first half of next season will have a lot more games than the second half. So you could take the view, we'll keep her for the first half of the season, just like we did this year, and then you know reassess in January, see if she needs to go out again. But on the other hand, you could say, well, why don't we send her out on loan for the first few months of the season, get her that game time, then bring her back for the second half. It's It's... I do kind of, I kind of want both. <laughs> I kind of want her to be in in the kind of the four rotations of centre-backs, but at the same time, I do think she needs to play. But if she goes, then really Arsenal need to bring in someone else, um, unless they do sign Simone Boy or Jen Beattie to another year's contract, which I'm not sure they're going to do, because otherwise they'd be left with three centre-backs. Um, unless maybe... They could flex it in terms of, um, you know, assuming they sign a number six uh, to kind of compete with Leo Valti. Maybe if that player um, is someone who can play centre-half, um, you know, Lena Oberdorf maybe. Maybe she'd like to be a backup centre-half and backup. Just throwing that in casually, Tim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sure she'd be very happy with that role. Um, but you know what I mean? Like someone who can maybe play both positions might be quite a smart way of doing it and then have someone who, you know, plays a fair bit, but but in both roles, um, at, at least for now. I, I think that might be the smartest thing to do, to get that, that six who can also be a centre-half, ask them for at least half a season, we'll have you covering one of these positions, and then we'll make a decision with Anna, and that'll either mean that you're one of our centre-halves or you're you're just our number six. Like If we can do that, I, I think that would kind of be the ideal. Um, 
final question before we go to uh, the the kind of the quick uh, roundtable with Beth Mead is uh, from um, at Meadema Stuff, who you might have heard of. Um, mm, I don't doesn't ring a bell. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Meadema Stuff asks, talking about a new hub. Uh, so, like some structural things that are happening at Arsenal Women. So, there's a new hub. There's going to be a new like. A section of the training ground that's going to be bigger than the existing one, which was only built in 2015, so that's relatively quick to be turning that over. Um, talking about new hub, proper investment behind the scenes, etc. We're ahead of many teams on this, but do you think setting up an even more solid infrastructure for the academy is a substantial part of the club's plan? All I know is that they're introducing some new staff roles next season. And this kind of comes off the back of something Kelly Smith said a month or two ago, at an event at Arsenal where she kind of said that actually the, the Arsenal Academy girls don't have, um, you know, don't have the same access really, or the same kind of facilities. Uh, like the Academy at Arsenal is still quite, uh, I don't want to say a separate thing necessarily, but there isn't like the same join up as you see with the men's Academy teams, um, for example. And, and, you know, you see a lot of the players go out on loan and stuff like that. Do, do you think that, perhaps upping the facilities for the girls' academy team, who I believe train at Hale End, uh, whereas the first you know, the women's first team train at Colney. Um, like, like, I have to say, I don't know on this. Like, I don't have the actual answer. I know there is some frustration over how the academy system works in women's football because you can't contract players until they're 18, which means you can't send them out on loan that's why you see these kind of combined loan deals where they have dual registrations. It's because you can't loan out a player before they turn 18, which is kind of a bit outdated. Um, and so like the dual registration thing is a way of getting around that. And it also means you can't be compensated for a player before they turn 18. So you could like Leah Williamson could have chosen to go to the US at 18, for example, we could have developed her for nine years and she'd have gone for free. So there is some frustration I know around like how easy it is to bleed out academy talent and how little kind of recompense you get for it. But well, I, what what do you think in terms of um, you know the maybe the facilities for the academy girls? I think we've had enough. We've had enough kind of evidence that building an academy is extremely beneficial. Um, in women's football in particular because you don't see it often and, and the clubs that do again you know Lyon Barcelona you know even Chelsea Academy is, is quite decent that they've brought in a few players but I mean I'm, I'm not actually refrained we're going to delete that Tim just pretend I didn't say Chelsea at all um, but no you, you look at you know the Barcelona Academy and you have they just opened La Masia for, for the girls this season and that's huge I think when you want to develop and again I keep going back to the same thing but the fact that Arsenal don't have a unison style of play that reaps throughout all the players I think is a down a downside to the way that Arsenal wants to play and if you have these academy players that are trained and it's it's not just about creating the facilities for the academy players it's about instilling the coaches that will train these girls to want to play for the first team and when they step into that first team it's supposed to be easy that's the whole point of an academy is 
you go through the phases of each age group in the academy that you learn something new each time you go. And by the time you get to the B team, right before getting onto the, you know, that first team, you're, you're set in the sense that it's supposed to be in theory, of course, it, it probably doesn't happen that often, but in theory, you're, your kind of debut with the first team, once you start training is supposed to be seamless because you've been trained in the same style and the same um, club style for all these years. So when you look at the practicality of an academy, I think it will be beneficial. And to do it in the WSL where it's not that common, I think will be one of, you know, that would give Arsenal a huge advantage. So if they fully commit to this in the way that it's supposed to be, then I can only see it, you know, reaping rewards. But then again, as you mentioned, Tim, you know, the practicalities behind the deals and the money and where the players want to go play, that's a completely different story. But if it's done well, these players should be aiming to play for that first team. Um, and if they don't, then that's just a whole other problem of Arsenal not, not being able to kind of retain their players. But I think an academy is huge. I am a big fan of academies doing it the right way, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. I I think it probably is time for like a, a more of an integration. Like, you know, we were just talking about the Arsenal defence there casually with Lotta Wilbur Moy, Anna Patton and, and Leah Williamson, as well as Taya Goldie, actually. Um, we seem to produce a lot of centre-halves, actually, <laughs> um, at the moment. And, and you know, so like, yeah, we do have academy talent in the team. And even when it's gone to America, like Anna and Lotta did, like, like they came back Um but I mean, I, I don't think there's definitely a guarantee of that um, every time. Like Alessia Russo, I think was at Chelsea and, you know, has come back to Manchester United. The, the thing is, the America option is still there. And we've got girls who are going there, like Freya Jupp from the academy, really promising player. She's going to America. I kind of think that the college system thing will happen less and less, though, because I, I, I kind of look at Lotta and Anna, who were playing for Arsenal when they were 17, um, in the WSL Spring Series. And then they went away to America. And then I think it just took them a little bit of time. And perhaps Anna still isn't there yet because she hasn't been able to play enough games. But Anna's 23. And you kind of think, um, look, you, you completely understand why the girls make these decisions to get like the quality of education and to go and play in like the college league. But it looks like more and more that actually going to play in the college league, it, it's not... It's not where the WS, like the WSL has kicked on. So if you're looking to come back from the US College League and into the WSL, it's almost like not quite the preparation it used to be. And I think it's taken Lotta maybe a little while to get back to her level um, since coming back. And we probably haven't seen that from Anna yet. When you consider that six, you know, what, five years ago, they, they were starting first team games for Arsenal and, and you know, um, so I, I do wonder whether like the really, really top players, I don't think will do that anymore, particularly if they've got international ambitions. A, a pretty significant decision was made about three years ago where the FA have said they, they'll stop play, paying for flights um, for players who, who go to the college system and who are still in the England youth team. So that's like a bit of a ruse to make them stay. So like that frustration with losing players you've developed to the US college system, I think is going to be a bit of a thing of the past. So I think uh, more closely integrating the academy would be would be a really, really big step 
Um, but the like WSL Academy teams, they're so weird. Like <laughs> all of the players turn over in a year. It's just like yeah. there's no continuity there. Um, and basically the only ones you get absolute continuity from, it, it's because they're brilliant. Like Leah Williamson. <laughs> you <laughs> get absolute continuity. Yeah, you get absolute continuity like that because Leah Williamson came into the team when she was 16 because she's that good. Um, you know, like I kind of tend to think that if you develop like a good squad player or something, like they're probably just going to go to the US college system or they're going to go somewhere else to play because there aren't enough games like to really give academy talent. It's, so it's not quite the same as the men's game in that respect. It's not quite the same as the, as the men's game because you don't generate transfer fees. So it's not like your academy makes you money that way. Like the men's team sold like Alex Iwobi for nearly £40 million, right? That pays for the academy for a couple of years. You don't get that in the women's game. So if you're just developing players and 99% of them don't end up pulling on your shirt, it, it is, you know, it, it is slightly different. But at the same time, I think that's probably changing. And um, yeah, we, we should preempt that change. So that, that that's it's a really, really interesting question, um, I think. And I, I don't know the definite answers to it. But um, yeah, I, I think that, that things are going to change there. And it's going to be one of the things we'll see because this is, you know, a developing sport. Um, we, we've been talking for like 75 minutes now <laughs> and we've still got to hear from Beth Mead um, for four minutes at the end of the podcast. So we'll leave it there with the questions. Thanks so much for all of the questions you submitted. Um, and really sorry we couldn't get to the other like 70 or 80 of them. <laughs> um, and we, we had some we had some really, really good ones. But we'll, um, we'll, we'll do another mailbag um, probably beginning of in a month's time or so. Um, but we'll keep knocking out two podcasts a month uh, during the summer. We've got some really, really good guests lined up on some of the other pods as well, some names I think you'll be quite familiar with, um, and we'll we'll keep rolling with the mailbag stuff. But Alex, um, thanks so much as ever for your time and your insight. Always a pleasure. One of the less painful ones of, of late. <laughs> and uh, how, how, how are you going to be watching the Euros uh, this year? Um, are you going to be watching the Euros? Oh, definitely. I've gotten enough tickets um, to confidently same. say I'll be there for majority of it in person. Yeah, yeah, same. I've got tickets for a load of games. Um, I'm not yet yet clear on whether I'll be working at any of it, um, but consider this um, me putting myself on the market. <laughs> <laughs> consider this a come and get me plea. If you want to work, I can do. Um, but otherwise, I've got loads of tickets as a fan and I'm looking forward to it. But we'll, we'll chat before the Euros, during the Euros, blah, 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 etc. Alex, thanks. Thanks Thank you. very much as ever. And so to play us out with this episode, um, Arsenal Women's Supporters Club, Player of the Season, Beth Mead, and this is mine, Molly McElwee's and Art DeRoche's chat with her um, about 45 minutes after the game finished on Sunday. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. 
Only at Sleep Number stores or SleepNumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start if you don't mind. You're right, Beth. Um, I just wanted to ask a question about your season overall and the summer that preceded it, obviously missing out on the Team GB squad and then Arsenal signed Tobin and Nikita. Do you think um, that had any, that was a factor in the great season you've had? Yes, I think so. I think uh, for me, obviously, again, cliche what I've said all season, but the disappointment of not going to the Olympics really made me step into another gear in the off-season, put that work in and then obviously finding the likes of Keats and uh, Tobin coming in. You know, I knew I'd step up my game in every session, in training and on the pitch, and yeah, it's worked wonders for me this season, but apparently competitiveness really helps me. The, well, I was actually going to ask that, because I know that um, Phil Neville said this, and I know Jonas has said this when I've spoken to him this this, uh, this season, that almost like when you're a bit pissed off that you're a better player, have you worked on being pissed off a bit more often? Yeah, the girls riled me up just before I become a... Yeah, I think I've worked on, you know, being annoyed well not maybe not annoyed but aggressive but on the right level you know sometimes there's that line of being too aggressive and it being a little bit too far but um i think i've just started to you know get the right um level of aggressiveness and um in my play and in my game and uh, last one from me um you're in double figures for goals this season i think your best season in terms of goals for us was that a big target for you because last time i spoke to you you said you count the assists more than the goals, but I wonder if you've changed your thinking on that. I think I've just had to up my standards as a person and as a player, and I think, yeah, assists are great, but actually I'm a forward and need to be scoring goals. And I was a number nine at Sunderland and was scoring goals there, and I think, why not? I shouldn't be doing that now. So I think both need to be a big part of my game now. Congrats, Beth. You've had a blinder of the season. That match, obviously, there was a lot of reaction in the crowd about what was happening elsewhere. I just wonder how much you guys were aware of that on the pitch. Um, until half-time, no. Obviously, yeah. we heard the announcement as we were walking off the pitch 2-1. It's hard not to give you a little bit of hope, but, yeah, unfortunately, it was out of our control today. Fair play to Chelsea from out second half to score the goal, so um, credit to them, but, yeah. Disappointing for us. But how do you reflect on the season? from an individual perspective but also like as a team because you haven't done much wrong so it's kind of it must feel kind of bittersweet in that sense because you've not come away with a trophy yeah I mean it's a hard tough season to take we've come away with no trophies and probably had a pretty good season but we've come away with nothing so we've still got to look at ourselves in the mirror and assess that but it's nice to know that we're competing against the top teams taking points off the top teams now and, and again now it's just got through the season I think our Christmas after Christmas patch you know killed us obviously a little bit and 
now that's where we've got to rectify it and be consistent throughout the whole season. And look ahead to next season, big questions around Viv, for example, just wondering how important you think it would be to her to stick with this team. Yeah, obviously it would be super important. Um, obviously Viv's decision, but quietly confident. <laughs> Hi Beth. Um, I know when we spoke, I think around October you said Jonas was a perfect fit for you in terms of what he wants from you. Uh, obviously talking about the aggressiveness and stuff like that. Just wondering about your reflections on that now we're at the end of the season having gone the whole way through. Yeah, I think um, Jonas's expectation and way of playing suits me to a T. Um, I like being on the front foot. I like being aggressive, like we've just spoken about. Um, and what he wants from me, I know what he wants from me and that's the expectation of my level for the season and hopefully I've done that well for him um, and can continue that again next season. Yeah, in terms of that, I guess, consistency, is, is there anything that you guys see as, oh, we could have done that differently or is it just luck at the end of the day? I think, like, we've just got to be more switched on around the Christmas break, you know, maybe we switched off a little bit and after we've come back and been a little bit too blase and... I think us and the club, you know, if we're going to be cutthroat, could we have brought the Australian girls back and made our team as strong as it could have been at that point? Maybe, yes. Um, and I think that's where now we've got to be in terms of wanting to get to that next level and be, you know, on that podium today. That's the things we're going to have to do. Cheers. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.